0: We treasure the word of God here, and we want to hear what the word of God has to say to us. If we've come and praise God for worship this morning and sung, and have not opened the scriptures and hear what the word of God has to say, then we are, we are missing greatly. Uh, there are some places you, you go to worship where the word of God is not opened. Here we want to open his word and give place to what his word has to say. Amen? Amen. We are continuing in our series called Different. Somebody say different. different. And the premise here is Peter is writing to a group of elect exiles. These are Christians chosen by God and yet called and spread out because of persecution and are living as foreigners in different parts of what we call now modern-day Turkey. And Peter has been admonishing us. If you're here this morning for the first time, praise God. We're so glad you're here. You've caught us in the middle of a study on First Peter, and we've learned quite a bit in, in these first three chapters or so. We've learned stuff like God has given us a living hope that is able to stand against the adversities of life. Christians, one of the things that set us apart and make us different is Christians know how to take a licking and keep on ticking. We are resilient, not in our own strength or tenacity. Our resiliency comes from the living hope that God has put in us. He's given us an imperishable inheritance. We've learned that we've been redeemed. We've been brought back by the precious blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ. We've learned we've been called to live as holy people, set apart. That word holy just means set apart for the master's use. We've learned that God has called us to to, to be built up into a spiritual house. My wife admonished us today from the stage talking about that passage in Matthew where, where, where Jesus is talking about Build your life on the rock, and we learn in First Peter that that rock is Jesus himself, him being the chief cornerstone in which we build our whole lives. We talked about submission to government and employees. And last week, we talked about submission in marriage. Today, Peter transitions to speak more directly about suffering. Somebody say suffering. And suffering is a language, regardless of whether you would call yourself a Christian or not, if you are human, as my wife said as well, you are either coming out of suffering in the middle of it or walking into it. In other words, suffering is the common language of the human experience. One of the things that you can be guaranteed in your life because of sin, you will suffer. So the question is not if we suffer, it is when we suffer. And so Peter is going to help Christians suffer well. Let's open up the text and see what it has to say. First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. it reads as follows. Finally, all of you, having unity of mind and sympathy and brotherly love and tender heart and a humble mind, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. Now, who is there that harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the, the Lord as holy, always being prepared then for doing evil. I want to talk to you this morning from the thought a different calling in suffering. Three points. It's levels to this loving life. And point three now that's different. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Speak to your people. I believe you want to say something to someone. I believe someone has walked in here this morning in the midst of the trial of their life. God, I pray that you would speak to your people, that you would encourage their hearts. Someone in here, God, is on the verge of making a decision on whether they're going to do it their way or your way. I pray that you would speak to your people and instruct them from your word. God, I pray for those that are weary and tired and frustrated. I pray for those, God, that are about to throw in the towel. Oh, God, strengthen the ones you died for. Strengthen the ones you love. And God, I stand as your vessel to be used by you. Would you use me for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Family. This ain't no easy text. You've read it. You've you've heard it. Uh, This is a challenging passage of scripture to teach um, as we read through what God is commanding of his people. And 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 this has been a a, a long week of prep for me. And and I'm going to be honest, I spent a lot of the week just stuck on how I'm going to share this with you. And I had to to call up a lifeline. Um, One of the privileges that I have in pastoring is my father also pastored for many, many years. And so I called him up and I read the passage to him. And so we're there and we're chopping it up and we're talking about Peter and we're talking about suffering. And as we're talking about suffering, he starts telling a story that I've never heard before. Now he's been my father all my life. But the story he dived into is he's recalling his own suffering I had never heard before. He starts talking to me about what happened to him on his job as an electrician. He was an electrician for over 35 years. He starts telling me he, he started his job in 1976. He started telling me how he was so excited that he was that he got this job, and it was a good job, and it was a county job, so it had benefits, and it had retirement all built into it. He was excited when he started this job, and, and I was excited too, but all I knew was dad got up, he went to work, and he came home. Here's what I didn't know, that on that job, he faced discrimination for two reasons. He recounts, these are his words, because he was a Christian and because he was black. At that time, my father, I didn't know this, was the only black person in his department. And he said oftentimes he would be mistreated by the other white employees. That they would refuse to ride in the truck with him when all the other electricians rode together to certain jobs all over the airport. That he was overlooked time and time again for raises and promotions, that all the other electricians got to take their truck home, but because of my father's stance, again, his words, for his faith and his race, he wasn't allowed to take his truck home until he lobbied and advocated for himself many, many years later. But for 25 years, he was the only African American and the only Christian in his department, And he would say because he was the only African-American in his department, uh, uh, the the whites didn't want anything to do with him. And then the other uh, African-Americans in different um, departments thought he was all of that. So he didn't have friends that were African-American and he didn't have friends that were white. So he's just walking this thing all alone for 25 years. He had challenges at home, so he would have to come home and deal with the challenges at home. He, he, he was a pastor who was working full time, so he had to go to the church and deal with the challenges at church and folk getting sick and folk getting married and folk having to be buried, and so he's dealing with trial upon trial upon trial, and all the while, we just see Daddy come home with a smile, not knowing what he was enduring. So, of course, I said to him, First of all, why didn't you tell me that years ago? Secondly, how'd you do it? How'd you, how'd you endure? How'd you gather yourself to deal with that? Here's his response. Rodney, it was, it was hard. It was lonely. It was tough. Footnote, we have people in this church who grew up without fathers. And maybe as I'm sharing the story of me talking about my father, it could be building some type of resentment in you right now. Some of us have great relationships with our fathers, and praise God for that. Some of us are brand new fathers, and we're trying to work our way through how to do that well. Can I talk to the brothers in the room for a moment? As you go through your go-through, don't just tell the good stuff. Tell the next generation how you suffered. Tell them how you blew it. Tell them how you didn't know where dinner was coming from. Tell them how you were confused about what the next five years of your life would look like. Don't just tell them, God brought me through. Tell them the whole story. So when you tell them the whole story, you show them your humanity and your dependency on God the same way they're going to have to depend on God. So, Pop, how did you do it? He said there was this closet at his job, this electrical room that, that from time to time he would walk in and it was quiet and no one else was there. And he would just pray and walk and walk and pray and cry out to God about his frustration. He said he would carry his, his, his New Testament in his truck, and because nobody else was in the truck with him, he was good to read his New Testament in the truck. And finally, he said there were many a days, and, and we knew this as a kid, that he would fast. He would just put away his plate, and mom would just say, Dad's on a three-day fast, and the kids would get happy more chicken for us if you you don't want to eat player that's on you I didn't know he was putting away his plate because the only way he was going to get strength that he needed for the journey ahead was not found in comfort food it was found like Dre said in prayer from the bread of life you see he had meat that we didn't know of yet to sustain him in the midst of intense suffering you see he said, Rodney, there are things that I had to pick, let, let go, there are things I had to pick up. I had to let go of my strength and what I wanted to do to pick up his strength. I had to let go of my wisdom and how I wanted to respond to pick up his wisdom. I had to let go of revenge and retaliation for his unfailing love. I had to let go of my tongue that wanted to respond in spite for the tongue of the learned. I had to let go of my hard heart of bitterness for a heart of clay in other words and this is his words this is where i get my first point from it's levels to this now he didn't say it's levels to this cuz he doesn't know that you know what that means in our culture he just used the word levels I want to be clear, I am not saying if you don't deal with suffering well, you're not a Christian. My, my, my job here is not to question the authenticity of your Christianity, but my job here this morning is to say and to call you from spiritual immaturity into spiritual maturity, because one of the ways that we know that we are maturing is how we respond to hardship. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14 says this, For though by this time you ought to have been teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Here's my encouragement to you, GF. Grow up. Grow up Grow up into godliness. Grow up because there's a generation waiting behind you. I, I, I know that so you, some of you are very young, but there's still people under you that need what you know, that need to hear what you've learned, that need to be encouraged by your testimony. There are people right up under you that need your words because God's given you those words to give to them. But some of us, who ought to have been teachers. I love it. He didn't say preachers. He didn't say stages and platforms. He didn't say notoriety and websites. He said teachers. This, this, this happens in the simplicity of our homes. This happens when we invite others over and just share and give up what, we, what, what, what we've learned, but some of us are stingy with our wisdom. We won't give it. We won't give it away. By, by now, you should have been teachers, but you still need someone to teach you basic principles. You need milk and not solid food. You know, milk is cool. You know, we're kind of a healthy church, so we're probably going to say, you need to get some, um, some almond milk or something. I don't know. I don't want to say nobody in here this morning. <laughs> milk is cool, but Milk, there's no chewing involved in milk. I just get the milk and I digest it. But with meat, you see, my teeth have to be developed for me to handle meat, solid food. Paul is saying here, the person that is ready for meat is mature. We have his powers discerned and trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This sermon this morning is not Christianity light. This sermon is meat. Amen? I want to talk about clarifying suffering, just as we talk about this as a word for the rest of this book, we're going to say it over and over and over again. So when I say suffering, what do I mean? Let me tell you what I don't mean suffering. Uh, for righteousness' sake, is not when you're fired from your job because of your bad performance. Some of us are more guilty of this than others. Some of us think that that my, my boss don't like me. No, he doesn't like the fact that you're late. He doesn't like the fact that your reports are always a week after the due date. Or, I don't know. I'm also not talking about suffering when somebody breaks up with you. So you're dating somebody and it doesn't work out and they break, out with you, break up with you and now you're saying you're suffering and you're going through your go-through. That, that that could be a type of suffering, but that's not what I'm talking about when I say suffering for righteousness' sake. I'm not talking about suffering for righteousness' sake when some, something bad happens to you, like you get in an accident or somebody steals something from you, like I— I had had car trouble with both of my cars in a 24-hour period. But that's not the suffering I'm talking about. Bad things happen to people all the time. When Peter talks about righteousness, he's talking about uh, suffering because of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your obedience to what he says. So if you are dating someone, you're, you know, a couple months in, and, and you're a Christian, and, and they say they're a Christian, but then they say, Well, when are we going to sleep together? And you say, What do you mean? And they say, No, what do you mean? And you say, I thought you were a Christian. I am Christian. Will you know what the scriptures say about that? No, what does it say? Well, we're not supposed to do that until we're married. Are you serious? You still subscribe to that? Come on! If you hold your ground and say no, no, I will not sin against my God that way. And they say, well, well, I'm out. I mean, you're cute and everything, and you're cool to kick it with. But I'm not. I I ain't ready to get married. It should have been something that was talked about on date one. Anyway. That's suffering for righteousness' sake. Or, or Mark talked about um, his wife uh, just making a decision to, to walk away from her job because of some ethical things that she disagreed with on her job and that she was pulled into. That's, that's an example of suffering, uh, not, not just because we live in a fallen world and bad things are going to happen, but suffering because you are taking a stance for your faith. Does that make sense? So Peter is going to encourage us now. I'm done with my introduction. (laughs) Let's look at the text. Peter starts by saying, all of you, all of you. In, in, In this phrase, Peter is talking to the church. So what's important for you to understand so far is that the church matters. Your gathering, your coming, your belonging matters. This church is a hospital for sinners. It is the gathering of the believers. It's where we encourage each other and love one another and comfort one another. It's it's, it's, it's the place where we meet. And what Peter says by saying this phrase, all of us, here's what he's saying, the church community matters. And here's what he says to the church. Five things, I'm going to go quickly, please pay attention. Number one, be of one mind, that is, be established. In what you agree to be true, he says, show sympathy. In other words, weep with those that weep, rejoice with those that rejoice. This word sympathy could also be summed up um, it's what you are feeling in my heart. So if there's someone in our church that's going through, we we should be coming alongside and feeling that. He says that you should be practicing brotherly love because we're a family. That you should be tender hearted, or in other words, big hearted in our compassion towards one another. And then finally, of a humble mind. That means courteous to one another. In short, what Peter says here is we need to love one another. And the reason why Peter is telling us to love one another is because when we are suffering, it's hard for us to be loving. We are most prone to snap on folk when we're going through. As a matter of fact, some of y'all have already developed that third sense to kind of sense when you're about to get snapped on. And you just know today's not the day. Some married men in here, you figured it out. I'm going to stay out of that. Let me go back to my adults. you mess with that. It's hard to love when you're suffering. Well, Peter is saying here, this is not a feeling, this is a decision of the will. Then Peter starts talking about not just loving in our church community, but what happens when you are loved, when, when, when you are not loved by the people not in your church community? How do you respond to that? He says, Do not pay, repay evil for evil. Or reviling for reviling. He says, in other words, or instead, or on the contrary, bless for you were called to be a blessing. This is tough stuff. In other words, there are people uh, uh, maybe in your family who are not Christian and know you're Christian, so they're going to treat you differently, discriminate against you, uh, call you out, what what have you. You, you. you are enduring this tension simply because you named the name of Jesus. And here's what Peter says. When that happens, don't strike back. Don't give evil for evil. If you're insulted, don't insult them back. In other words, on the contrary, bless them. Because he says, in so doing, you will inherit a blessing. One of the things that should mark us as Christians, help Lord, is how we bless people who don't like us. It's quiet. This is not new. We, we, we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount earlier this year where Jesus says, Love your enemies. This is not new. But Peter is admonishing us again because these are people that are in exile up under persecution. And here's what Peter is saying. Your persecution does not give you a right to come out your face. On the contrary, bless. He moves on. And he goes to quote Psalms 34.2, Loving Life. And I love this because this psalm, as Peter quotes it, starts by saying, Do you want to love life? Do you want to see good days? I love that. Little Duval came out with a song last year, I believe, year before. Now little Duval, he's not a singer, and he'll tell you that. But he came out with this song, "I'm Living my Best Life." If Little Duval, and that song went number one, if he got sense enough to know, I want a good life. I want to enjoy the life that I have. If if he can understand, life is short. I don't have time for people that, that, that are fighting against me. I don't need to respond to them with more fighting against them. I need to bless them, love them, and keep it moving because I want to enjoy my life. I love the practicality of this. Do you want to love life? What's your answer, GF? Do you want to see good days? Let's see what he tells us. But here, before we get there, I want us to understand this. These are are something I thought of this week. Our intuitive tendency towards revenge and retaliation will not produce the life, the life, that's wrong. I don't know who wrote that. Man, I got to I got to check my quotes better. Anyway, it won't produce the life we want. Many of us have been trained. Somebody jump on you, you jump back on them. Somebody say something to you, you say something back to them. They diss you, you diss them. That will not produce the life we desire. Amen? So let's look at Peter's case study He does a case study on the life of David. He's quoting Psalms 34, and he's about to tell us uh, David's instruction for us. If this is what we want, David's going to help us understand this. But before we get to David in Psalms 34, I want to focus on what he says at the very first verse of Psalms 34. David says, as he is on the run from Saul... David is being chased and persecuted by Saul. Saul is actually throwing spears at David during this time in his life. He is ducking spears. He is running away from Saul. He's he's seeking to stay alive because the king is after him. David has been anointed to be the next king of Israel. Saul knows it. So Saul is trying to kill David and wipe him out. And David is on the run. He is hiding in a city called Gath, and Gath is one of the five main cities of the Philistines. If you remember the story of David and Goliath, this is the city that Goliath is from, and he's running away from Saul to this city. Get the picture. David killed Goliath. Now David is on the run, and he ran out of fear into the city that Goliath is from, and he's carrying Goliath's sword on his hip. This man is under incredible fear of his life in persecution. He's hiding out. But look what David says in Psalms 34, verses 1 through 3. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Are you getting this picture? David is being persecuted. He's in fear of his life. His king is throwing spears at him to kill him. This is not a game. I was meeting with the football team uh, on Friday, and it was their last game, it was senior night. And so Gossip Fellowship, you don't know this, but you're gonna hear from the football coach soon. We have been sponsoring meals for the football team because they need it. If you are gonna play football at night, you need to have something on your stomach. So we've been partnering uh, with Texas Roadhouse and providing meals for the football team. So I'm getting there on Friday to, to talk to the coach, and, and, and I walk in and the principal says, cold red, cold red. And he sees me, he says, hey, you, get on the floor behind the office, cold red, cold red. I'm like, are you for real? Boy, it high off the, what is happening? I'm in the main office, all the lights are off, I'm sitting behind this desk waiting for further instructions, and all I hear over the PA system is cold red, cold red. Now, thankfully, it was a drill. (laughs) But I didn't know that. So I'm thinking as I'm sitting behind this desk, well, hold on, I don't know where this gunman is. What if he get off in this office? Am I in the right angle to protect myself from being killed? Finally, I find out it's, it's a drill. But with David... This ain't no drill. Somebody is literally, after his life, it is a cold red, cold red. And in the midst of that, after being chased and afraid and running away from everything that's familiar to him, listen to what he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise. Ooh, GF, we got to get a hold of this. We got to learn to be people of God that as we go through our own suffering, our own affliction, whatever it is, do not let what you are going through close your mouth and not allow you to give God the praises that is due his name. David says, I will bless the Lord not sometimes when things go well, when I feel good in my body, when I got money in the bank, when things are working in my favor. I'll praise God when I get the promotion when i get married when i get kids david says i will bless the lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth my soul the innermost part of my being shall make her boast in the lord the humble shall hear of it and be glad oh magnify the lord with me this is him calling others into worship oh magnify the lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Do not let suffering steal our praise. See, one thing that is important, it is not just peace without that matters. It is the peace you have within. You see, some of you all, you want to be, you tell God in your prayer life, Lord, I'll serve you if you do this for me. Lord, if you open up this door, I won't miss a Sunday. God, if you give me that promotion, I'll be as generous as you want me to be. David says, don't you wait till something happens to do what you ought to do. But let praise be in your mouth continually. Here's what he's getting after. It's not just about peace when things are well on the outside. It's about peace within. Some of you all right now are in the challenge of your life, and you're thinking, man, I just need this to change, and I need that to change, and I need this to change. You need to surrender your life to God and look to him to be your strength so you can have the peace you need inside, even when everything is crazy outside. David continues. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and keep his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do good. And let him seek peace and pursue it. Do you see all of this going on? In other words, David is giving us categories in which we need to surrender to God. Category one, keep your tongue. When you are suffering, This is not the time to lash out in deceitful speech with evil lips. Gossiping, slandering. He says, man, keep your tongue from evil. Turn from evil, he says. And then lastly, he says, seek peace and pursue it. And and then he tells you, why he wants you to do these things. Number one, keep your tongue from deceit because the Lord's ears are open to your prayers. Do you see that in the text? When I am suffering, the the, the way I can keep my tongue from deceit is surrendering my tongue to the Lord and then taking that to the Lord in prayer. Why? Because his ears are open to me. He wants to hear what we have to say concerning what we are going through. He wants us to take our cares and our complaints and our afflictions to him because his ears are open. Not just that. He tells us to turn from evil. Why can we do that? Because God's face is against those who does evil. I love this. Sometimes as I read passages like this, what are the questions that come up? It's where is the accountability? Where is the justice? Well, God says clearly in this text, he's the one handling the evil because God's face is against those that does evil. And then lastly, he says, seek and pursue peace because his eyes are on the righteous. You see, I can seek to be at peace even with my enemy because his eyes are on me. Last point. Now that's different. Look at verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you suffer for righteousness sake, there it is. this here's what Peter says do good in other words he's, he's assuming in verses 13 he's asking this question now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good Peter is saying for, 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 for most of us if we're doing good there's not going to be a ton of people chasing us down to persecute us we're doing good. Verse 14, he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, this means when I am doing good and I am still being persecuted, when I am submitting to my husband and I'm still being persecuted, when I'm living with my wife in an understanding way and I'm still being persecuted, when I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing on the job and I'm still being persecuted. On to say, honoring Christ in your heart as holy. Now, this is important. Just here he says, the way that you're going to be able to endure this suffering is to look to Jesus. And as I look to Jesus and honor him with the core of who I am as holy, for he is holy. And I understand that God does not owe me anything, and I owe him everything. It reminds me to remember the gospel. You see, this is the good news. This is is me being a sinner because of me breaking his law in desperate need of his rescue and grace and Jesus coming in and saving me and treating me better than I deserve, taking care of my sin problem, giving me his righteousness. I can remember all that he's done for me, and if he suffered and bled and died for me, then I should be willing to suffer for him. when we live this way, we can see what happens in verses 15. Verse 15 says this, But in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always be prepared to make a defense for anyone who acts you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, when I live this life this way, People start asking questions. People start asking us how, like I asked my father, are you able to endure this? Glad you asked. We're able to share with them good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Sometimes this verse is used often as um as an apologetic verse to to have us ready to give a defense for the gospel and we'll see this verse used when people are debating scriptures or talking about scriptures or just this whole idea of apologetics and there's nothing wrong with that and we'll spend some time equipping the church that way next year but look where this verse is found the defense of the gospel is found in the context of suffering Because we know that we can do that with gentleness and respect. Amen. And we trust, we entrust ourselves to him because he cares for us.